Hello, my friends. An incredible photograph. Jason Kenney and his health minister, Tyler Shandro, having a private dinner party high above the little people. They're in a building nicknamed the Sky Palace. White tablecloths, bottles of liquor, servants. Breaking the rules for restaurants down below. Restaurants can only have four people on a patio, and there were more than four at this secret patio, but it's not so secret anymore. I'll show you the photos and tell you why I think this is the death knell for Alberta's Conservative Party. It makes me very sad. That's ahead. Boy, I wish you had a video subscription. We call it Rebel News Plus. It's the video version of this podcast. You just have to see these photos. I think they just show a luxury and an obliviousness, uh, a lack of self-knowledge to be living that luxury life while enforcing a brutal lockdown. I just, I just don't think it's going to be forgiven by the people. So if you, you know, enjoy the podcast, I think you'll get something out of it. But if you want to become a subscriber to the video version, please do. Go to rebelnews.com, click subscribe. It's eight bucks a month or 80 bucks if you buy the whole year in advance. That's like less than half of Netflix. And I think you'll find news you won't get anywhere else. Uh, in addition to this podcast uh, video version, Sheila Gunn, Reed, David Menzies, Andrew Chappazos for shows too. All right, here's today's podcast. Tonight, sometimes I feel like Jason Kenney is trying to lose and make Rachel Notley Alberta's premier again. It's June 3rd, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. I've known Jason Kenney, the Premier of Alberta, for most of my life. We became buddies when I was a law student in Edmonton, and he was the head of the Taxpayers Federation in Alberta. Edmonton was a left-leaning town, always really has been, and we felt like we were battling on the same side. In 1997, that's almost a quarter century ago, we both went to Ottawa at the same time. He went as a newly elected MP, and I went as a staffer to the party leader at the time, Preston Manning. Along with Raheem Jaffer, also from Edmonton, we were part of a little team of youngsters called the Snack Pack. A funny riff on the Liberal Party's Rat Pack. That's what Liberal MPs like Sheila Copps and John Nunziata and some of the other youngsters had called themselves. Um, I don't know if you can see this, but uh, one day the Ottawa Citizen did a fun story on the Snack Pack. And they wanted me to pose for them while grilling some steaks on a barbecue. I said, yes, but I didn't actually have a barbecue. So I quickly ran out to buy one and assemble it quickly in time for the photo shoot. That wasn't easy. Now, I was a single guy. I didn't actually have any groceries at home either. So I walked across the street to a restaurant where I would hang out. And I asked if I could please get some of their ingredients so I could, you know, make a story of how I'm such a barbecue. Anyways, the story actually did give credit to the restaurant for the recipe. You can you can see there's Jason Kenny, and there's me, and there's Raheem Jaffer, and it actually lists our weights, and we're all snackers to this day. I guess my point is I've known Kenny for decades. I've seen him fight against overspending as head 
of the Taxpayers Federation, and uh, then against Ottawa bureaucracy as a cabinet minister uh, there under Steve Harper. And besides fighting against the size of government, I watched how he stood up for religious freedom too, especially for persecuted Christians. I don't know if you remember, but he actually set up an office of religious freedom to promote that around the world. He criticized places like China and Pakistan for their abuse of Christians, and he set up a private refugee program where Canadian churches could sponsor a Christian refugee to come over from, say, the Middle East to escape persecution. So that's the Jason Kenney I've known for many years, and that was how he was as premier, more or less, until pretty recently. Even when the pandemic caused other Canadian politicians to go into panic, Kenney didn't. He didn't lock down as quickly, as widely, as deeply as places like Ontario or Quebec or BC did. He held out, which I, I think is pretty much what Albertans wanted him to do. But then something changed. I, I don't know what. Until one moment, Kenny had been the decider. He listened to advisors, including from the public health bureaucracy, but he gave their, weight a, their, their advice a certain weight, no less but no more than it was due. He balanced public health advice against other concerns, like, I don't know, other harms from the lockdowns, economic harm, mental health harm, and the alleged positive effects of a lockdown, of which I am skeptical there are any. I mean, one of the things Alberta has been better than the other provinces at doing is showing relevant health statistics, not just talking about cases, which really means nothing, but real things like, is anyone actually getting really sick? Is anyone dying? Okay, who is getting sick and dying? Uh, here's the Alberta government homepage on those stats. Uh, average age of death, 80. Number of people in intensive care in the whole province, 122. Just for your information, there are 106 acute care hospitals in Alberta. So that's just about one ICU patient per hospital. So they get their own hospital. Now, I feel bad for anyone in the hospital, but we're not about to be overwhelmed here by a wave of sick people, thank goodness. Here's the best chart on their page, best in terms of telling you what's really going on, the most informative. This tells you how many people who died from the virus had these other serious conditions. You can see 85% had high blood pressure, 53% had heart disease, 50% had kidney disease, 47% had dementia, etc. In fact, the vast majority of people who died in Alberta, average age 80, had at least three of those serious diseases. That puts things into context, doesn't it? If you're 80, 80 years old and you have three or four or five serious diseases, you are at risk, that's for sure. So why would a premier of a province shut down schools for kids or restaurants for families or rodeos for young people? Well, I don't know. But there was a certain point where things just flipped. I don't know what it was that made Kenny move from being the decider who was pu pumping the brakes on the lockdowns to being a rubber stamper stepping on the gas, just like other premiers have done. Un until that moment, he was the closest thing Canada had to a Ron DeSantis, taking common sense precautions, but not throwing out the baby with the bath, bath water. But then something flipped, and, and I don't know what. Now he's a little bit more like Doug Ford, and remember what Doug Ford said about who really makes the decisions? Here's a video of that. I'm going to be very frank. There's no politician in this country that's going to disagree with their chief medical officer 
uh, they just aren't going to do it. They might as well throw a rope around their neck and jump off a bridge. They're done. I'm telling you the facts. It's very simple. I don't know. What caused the flippening? Was it when a dozen of his own senior staff and MLAs and cabinet ministers were caught going to luxury vacations over Christmas in Vegas and Hawaii? Again, I've got nothing against vacations in Vegas and Hawaii. It's just how do you do that and how do you do it in secret, a secret guilty way they all traveled? How do you do that when you're telling mere citizens to stay at home, no luxury travel? I understand their excuse. They say they wanted to get life back to normal. Okay, I get it. But why were they starting with themselves rather than with ordinary citizens? Anyways, it was a big black eye, that whole Aloha Gate. It looked luxurious. It looked like the rules were just for the little people. It was a big landmine that Kenny stepped on. And he actually paid a pretty big price for it. Not only did he lose cabinet ministers, but he lost his own chief of staff over it. That's a big deal. But that's the thing. Your private face has to match your public face as long as Kenny was keeping the province open, resisting the public health deep state. I think he could morally justify living his own life, uh, having his staff live their own lives sanely. I think it was the contradiction that did him in. And then they really started ratcheting up their lockdown. I don't know if that was driven by Kenny himself, but the public health deep state sure loved it. And I, I think they frankly don't care if Kenny does poorly. I'm talking about the various public health officers, the Alberta health bureaucrats, whatever police forces they convinced to help them enforce their non-criminal laws. I, I think that whole deep state card started getting itchy. They wanted a war like there were in other provinces. So they jailed Pastor James Coates for 35 days, maximum security prison. And when he was out, they expropriated his church. And they hold it to this day with armed guards. They literally arrested Pastor Arthur Pavlovsky on the highway, in the middle of the street, in the rain, cars whizzing by like he was a mob boss or something. They arrested Pastor Tim Stevens, too, in front of his own family. Each of these pastors was jailed. I'm talking about maximum security prisons in each case. They also jailed businessmen, too, like Chris Scott of the Whistle Stop Diner. They gave tickets to that cowboy who had a rodeo. They just went nuts, which is weird because the timing of their crackdown made no sense medically. Here's the chart uh, of mortalities from the virus in Alberta. I've shown you this before. You can see it was high over Christmas, a.k.a. flu season, but it's fallen by, I don't know, 80, 90% then. So why the brutal enforcement now? Why the jailing of pastors now? That can only be political. Pandemic's over. And Kenny and his justice minister and his health minister were all fine with the lockdown, the crackdown. I don't know what changed. I don't know what happened. Maybe it was just political theater to avoid the media party being mean to them, to avoid some other consequence. I don't know. But something changed. I, I, I sense the senior politicians, Kenny and those around him, never really believed in the lockdown because, would you look at this? These pictures were just published yesterday. It's Jason Kenney and his health minister, Tyler Shandro, and other senior staff having a luxury white tablecloth dinner, bottles of wine and whiskey, servants on a patio roof of a tower overlooking the city of Edmonton. What a glorious spring night. They're the masters of the universe, living the high life. Except they were caught. See, in Alberta right now, you can't go to a restaurant and have that many people sit together. 
Here are the official rules as of June 1st for restaurants. Restaurants, outdoor patio dining for up to four household members per table or three people if diners who live alone are with their two close contacts. Yeah, okay, um, look at that picture again. They are at an outdoor patio. They're each from different households. There's more than three people there, more than four people there. And then, of course, there's the waiters, the servants. What is that place, by the way? Is that some secret government restaurant? Looks like it. Table, tablecloth, waiters, service, bottles of liquor. But it's in a government building. Is that a secret government restaurant? Because no other restaurants are allowed in Alberta right now, except as I've described above, no indoor restaurants, just patios with strict limits. So what is this place? Can I book a table there? Or is it just for the bosses? Well, that is a very special restaurant. It's in a very special building. Its nickname is the Sky Palace. Isn't that perfect? It's where the king and his court can look at their kingdom. They're the master of all they survey. They maybe can look down with a telescope to make sure the little people aren't gathering in groups of more than four while they do. That Sky Palace, as it's called, was actually built under the tenure of Alison Redford, one of the least successful premiers of Alberta, the shortest-lived uh, premier who was actually elected in the dying days of the Progressive Conservative Party about a decade ago. And one of the things that sealed her fate was this Sky Palace. It was just so out of touch with the times and the temperament. It, it would have had not just luxury offices, but an apartment for the premier and her family. It was a private penthouse at the top of a skyscraper just for the premier, nearly three million bucks to renovate of tax dollars in a government building. And it was so shocking. It was the final proof that the PCs had to go and that they were thinking of the government as their own property. Surely a right-wing successor party like the United Conservative Party would know that. Surely the former boss of the Alberta Taxpayers Federation would know that. Surely in a time of high unemployment and recession and lockdowns, that luxury sky palace would have been avoided, would have been padlocked, never to be seen, never to be used, like a haunted house in a mansion, a room. We never go into that wing. We never go into that room. Death lies there. But there it is, and there they were. It reminds me of Animal Farm by George Orwell. I just reread that book this year. I recommend you do too. When the animals had their rebellion against the human farmers, they drove out the cruel farmer. They had a series of rules, as you know. But as the pigs, the ruling class, became a bit too comfortable as the new dictators, the rules were changed. One of them was a rule against drinking alcohol. Let me quote from the book. Muriel, reading over the seven commandments to herself, noticed so there was yet another of them which the animals had remembered wrong. They had thought the fifth commandment was, no animals shall drink alcohol. But there were two words that they had forgotten. Actually, the commandment read, no animal shall drink alcohol to excess. Yeah, no, that wasn't the original commandment. That's what the pigs changed it to. I don't know if you remember that book, Animal Farm, but it ends when the pigs are having a meeting with a neighboring farmer over alcoholic drinks, and they're gambling, and they're negotiating terrible things for the farm, the things they rebelled against originally. And it became impossible to tell the pigs from the men anymore. Let me just read the last sentences of the book. 
Twelve voices were shouting in anger, and they were all alike. No question now what had happened to the faces of the pigs. The creatures outside looked from pig to man, and from man to pig, and from pig to man again, but already it was impossible to say which was which. That's the last sentence in the book, Animal Farm. And that's the thing, that image of all the places, of all the things, the luxury, not just luxury, that luxury, that patio, that sky palace, that building that caused the undoing of the PCs, that led in many ways to the creation of the new UCP party, that made it necessary for the former Taxpayers Federation leader to come back from Ottawa to Edmonton to liberate the province. That is the place that went for their luxury dinner with liquor, with white linens, with servants looking over the city like kings. And the health minister, Tyler Shandro, the one who ordered the arrest and jailing of the Christian pastors, who ordered the arrest of Chris Scott for opening his diner in Mirror, Alberta. Tyler Shandro was at this dinner party? Yeah, no, I'm so sorry. Because I've known Jason Kenney for most of my life, and he truly has been a conservative champion, but this bell cannot be unrung. The polls say he's going to lose the next election, which is incredible. And those polls were taken before these photos were published. He's going to make Rachel Notley the NDP premier again. I just think it's going to happen. I never would have thought it. I never would have imagined them going to the Sky Palace. But really, what's the Sky Palace when you're fine with jailing pastors for a month? If you can live with that, you can live with this. I don't think they're going to be in government for long. The only question is, will their own party walk with them into the next election? Stay with us for more. Do you support the Prime Minister's decision to veto the Northern Gateway Pipeline, Mr. Carney? Uh, I, I understand the veto of the Northern Gateway Pipeline. You support given it? Both, uh, given both environmental and commercial reasons. Do you support it? Uh, I think it's sensible. I, I wasn't involved in the decision, but I think it was the right decision. And yet your company has invested billions of dollars uh, in oil companies in both Brazil and the UAE to buy pipelines. Uh, you've uh, you bought uh, billions of dollars of pipelines as a company in the last five years. Do you support those investments? Uh, Mr. Polyev, there is a global energy system. And one of the issues, uh, I'm, I'm trying to explain a bit of how the economy works. Uh, one of the Thank issues- Thank you so much. Of, well, it, it may help. Uh, one of the issues for this committee in thinking about a sustainable yeah. transition- Do you support is, it? Where is Canada's role in those, in those uh, as energy transitions from right. fossil fuels to renewables? And in different jurisdictions, into uh, different geography it matters it matters okay. and this is a fundamental point yeah. no i'm so, sorry this is a fundamental you're so, finally I'm getting, sorry. To, you've, you've, you're finally you've getting the time. to a point you've exceeded that the time is relevant to this committee's what, inquiry, what you're what you're what you're saying is, is you oppose pipelines in canada but you support them in the uae and in brazil that's what there you've actually specific, said there are specific that's your pipelines. double standard it is not a double standard. It, it is, is a double a, standard. No, it's not. You, you it's make not. billions of dollars Mr. off foreign Pelliot, pipelines and you shut them down here at home, you, putting our people out of work. You. That's my choice for leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, Pierre Polly, of grilling Mark Carney, the former 
banker in the UK, now coming back to Canada. I think he's going to throw his hat into the ring pretty quick as a Trudeau liberal. I don't think Carney had ever been asked tough questions before in his life. And I don't think he did a good job. He, of course, supports shutting down pipelines in Canada in the name of climate, you see. But his company believes in building pipelines for OPEC countries. Well, he's not the only one in that globalist world who hates, hates, hates ethical oil in liberal democracies, but supports them in unfree or partially free countries. I want to bring your attention to an article uh, in, our, in one of my favorite go-to places for info on uh, climate and global warming. I'm talking about climatedepot.com. It was originally published in Fox News. It's by DeRoy Murdoch, who has such a cheeky headline. He says... Is Joe Biden a Russian asset? Trump's hard-won energy independence is gone. And joining me now to talk about this is the publisher of Climate Depot, our friend Mark Moran. Mark, great to see you. I know that DeRoy Murdoch means that sort of tongue-in-cheek, but really, if Joe Biden were a Russian asset, shutting down pipelines, stopping drilling in Alaska, long waiting lines for gas stations across America, it would be tough to see the difference between Biden, who was under the thrall of Putin and Russia, and the Biden we have in, in charge today. No, it wouldn't. And that's a great, a great headline and a great thing by Murdoch. I mean, that's exactly you. Uh, they asked if Donald Trump was involved in Russia collusion based on a joke about Hillary Clinton's email hacking. <laughs> and that started the whole investigation. And here we have actual you know, this is actual work that Russians couldn't have planted if they had an asset to do better work than this, to shut down American domestic energy. And of course, Russia will be benefiting. And you could also say, is he a Chinese asset on the same level? Because as as we're shutting down our domestic energy, we're going to be ramping up, of course, all the rare earth mining and minerals for the solar and wind mandates. And of course, China is set. So this has probably been the greatest six months for Ch well, actually, if you want to go 18 months since the start of the pandemic, that's probably the greatest time in China's history. And I'm talking about China's long history. Never has China been more uh, you know, strengthened and their goals achieved in the last 18 months with the global lockdowns and, and COVID and now, you know, Joe Biden's election and the even more hammering of the United States. But Russia is also going to be benefiting greatly from these policies. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it couldn't be clearer. Uh, Joe Biden approving the Nord Stream pipeline that really makes Europe dependent on Gazprom, which is, of course, a strategic company. That's the title. It's, it's owned 50 percent by the Kremlin, but strategic in that any foreign contracts it signs have to be approved by the Kremlin. And historically, the Kremlin has turned on and off the gas to punish customers for political. I mean, Ukraine is a perfect example. They shut off the gas several times in the cold of winter. Pricing, they if someone supports Russia politically, they get cheaper gas. If they pose Russia, it's more expensive gas. I'm not some conspiracy theorist about how Russia's evil, Russia's evil. I don't think Russia is friendly. I think they're authoritarian and, and half free, half unfree. But I can see what they're doing with Gazprom Here's Joe Biden explaining why he doesn't have a problem giving Nord Stream 2 pipeline the green light. Take a look. When have you decided to meet with President Putin 
And why are you letting Germany and uh, Russia to build, to continue building Nord Stream 2? Because it's almost completely finished, number one. The idea that anything that an opponent like I can allow Germany to do something now, I have been opposed to Nord Stream 2 from the beginning, but it only has, a, it's almost completed by the time I took off. And uh, to go ahead and impose sanctions now would, I think, be counterproductive in terms of our European relations. They know how strongly I feel, and uh, I hope we can uh, work on how they handle it from this point on. Mark, I wish Joe Biden uh, were as supportive of American pipelines and American jobs and and. I mean, the Keystone XL pipeline was nearly completed. Those are the reasons he's supporting Russia's pipeline. How can he, like, is there no cognitive dissonance for a guy who supports Russian pipelines but shuts down American pipelines? It just makes absolutely no strategic sense, economic sense, domestic energy, strategy sense. It makes no sense whatsoever. And even in the colonial pipeline, which they said was hacked, the Biden administration was kind of like, oh, well, you know, that's up to them. You know, they weren't even interested in, in helping a major pipeline or investigate who hacked them. And, you know, this is one state, one legitimate function of the government is to actually investigate. But you're right. Allowing Russia to do this. I was in Poland actually three times for three separate United Nations conferences over the last 15 years. The most recent one. In Poland, they, we actually had an alternative UN summit, and it was all about like what you're talking about, the Russians punishing people, very similar to way in, in lockdown America, Canada, and around the world. If you don't go along, you're the ones that get punished uh, and, and with their policies, and you get the extra thing, extra punishment from it. But they, Polish, Poland does not want to give up their coal mines for the exact reason that they don't want to have to rely more and more on Russian energy because they know what it's like. I don't know how Joe Biden has this cognitive dissonance. You just wish that he would have the same energy, domestic energy uh, policy that he's giving, that he's allowing and pushing for Russia to have in Europe. This is, it's, 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 it's crazy. But I think on a separate note, within six months of just Joe Biden, everything President Trump had done is just being washed away. You know, we were the world's largest uh, oil and gas producer. We had the biggest, uh, more energy exports than imports for the first time since Harry Truman was president. We were sitting pretty. And then this comes along. And as we hammer ourselves, we're opening up China and Russia. And with with, with the pipeline in, uh, in Europe, it's just an incredible thing how this is benefiting Russia. Yeah, just one more note on Russia. You know, I, I haven't looked at it in a while, but I remember when I wrote my book, Ethical Oil, and my follow-up, Groundswell, th there was a map, I think it was from Izvestia, the Russian uh, media yeah. outlet, that showed all the different countries in Europe to which Gazprom sells gas. And it shows the price and you look at the map and you said, there's no rhyme and re or reason here. Some countries pay two, three times what others do. Um, there, the, the, there was this one quirk where a pipeline went through one country and then the next country it went through, same pipeline, it was cheaper. So the gas was going further through a pipeline yeah. further and how could it possibly be cheaper for a further destination except through political manipulation? You would look at this map and there was no way it made sense other than when you realize the politics, immediately the map makes sense. And I just think it's incredible that something that's so blatantly politically... I mean, I got no beef with Russia selling its gas. What do I care? 
other than it is not a commercial tool, it's a diplomatic military tool. And I don't, I've got to think Biden knows that. But then again, his son, Hunter Biden, was involved in all sorts of shenanigans with Russian and Ukrainian and, and, and foreign energy oligarchs. Like he, Hunter Biden took a, a multi-million dollar payoff from the a wife of the former mayor of Moscow. What on earth is that about? Yeah, I mean, and, and that, that's the whole other thing. Biden's per, to also asked a legitimate question. Does Biden have a, a compromised family situation here? In fact, when Biden said at the debate with Trump last fall, I personally have not benefited. Well, his personal bank account, well, his he may not personally have any way to show for it, but his family wealth has increased radically because of what Hunter Biden was doing. But on this pipeline, the the uh, the, the um, uh, gas pump Nord Stream 2, the environmentalists are the ones that should be outraged. The same environmentalists who cheered Joe Biden shutting down Keystone are now, I think their estimate is 74% of the global warming benefit is going to be wiped out because they're now pushing this. So it just goes to show you that whenever you shut down, particularly Canada, United States or, or Europe, our energy supplies and you're all you're doing is you're raising emissions, period. You're outsourcing it to people without uh, the same environmental standards. You know that I know that. But this is just I don't know where this is going to end because three more years of this under a Biden presidency. He can seriously hobble. They're not just going after these projects, you know, and not allowing them. They're going after the financial structure yeah. behind it. So you can't even fund this. They won't even be able to get bank loans. This is a form of Chinese social credit system. Mm. Now, if you own an energy company, any kind of mining, any kind of energy exploration, you will now be considered, you know, a a, uh, a narrative wall in our society. And you can't even get a private industry to fund you. Huh. Hey, I want to talk about something else. One of my favorite cities these days even though I haven't been there in over a year because of the quarantine up here, uh, is Miami. I mean, I, I love all of yes. Florida because it's the free state. It's the great Ron DeSantis is the governor. I love how he's fighting back against so many things, including big tech. And, and I like that mayor of Miami, Francis Suarez. I like his style. He's upbeat. He seems like he's supportive of the governor. He's Republican himself. Um, I like the fact that he's future thinking. I like the fact that he's into crypto. There's a lot of things I like about Miami. Uh, and mainly it's jealousy because I'm trapped here in the anti-Miami, Toronto, the most locked down city in the world. But I see that uh, one of my heroes, Francis Suarez, the mayor of Miami, is participating, or at least they allege he'll be participating, in a conservative climate rally. And that gives me the willies because I know up here in Canada, our conservative party has totally bought in to the carbon tax. They're calling it a carbon levy. And I just worry that when conservatives think they can buy the love of the left, if they just give that Green New Deal light, I'm worried it's a path that goes nowhere good. What do you have to say about this conservative climate rally in Miami? Well, first of all, I want to maybe burst your bubble about the mayor of Miami. I never trusted the guy. He could talk a good game on some issues, but here's two reasons why I didn't trust him. The COVID lockdowns and the COVID mask mandates. He pandered to the mainstream media on that. 
uh, particularly even the mask mandates, well beyond that. He was not in line with Governor DeSantis on that. So I didn't trust him. If he wasn't, if he couldn't see through what was happening with COVID lockdowns and the mask mandates, I was not able to trust him. And now, of course, I've seen him do pandering interviews with mainstream media about climate change in Miami. First of all, Miami is sinking, subsidence, a natural process. And it's always had king tides and other floods, and they try to tie that to climate change. So what he's done now is he's tied up with these conservative, allegedly Republican climate groups, one of them by Benjamin Backey, who actually interviewed me for an hour recently. And I, and I have a 10 minute highlight reel of how that interview went. But essentially, Ezra, their message is Republicans believe climate is a problem. It needs a solution. And they want to come up with a Green New Deal light with a, you know, some lesser proposal that the Democrats are. But it never has historically worked. They've given over the framing. They've given over the messaging. They're not challenging the narrative on any of this. They've given up on challenging any of the science. And instead, it's a Me Too, not so fast Republican who eventually will turn into the Me Too. And you cannot peddle a Green New Deal light because the people you're peddling it to aren't going to think it's strong enough, but that's what the mayor of Miami has got himself into. But I'm not, you know, I don't think much of him anyway, because he already proved himself uh, no good on the COVID uh, lockdowns and mask mandates. Well, I mean, I'm just thinking again, I'm here in Toronto and uh, summer is a lovely three weeks long up here. We're in the middle of our three weeks. Summer. I'm kidding around. I mean, listen, it's, it's cold up here. And one of the reasons Canadians love Miami, there's a lot of Canadians on the East Coast that go down to Miami. On the West Coast, again, before the quarantines, people would go to, I don't know, Phoenix or whatever. It's the climate. You know, the fact that uh, Miami has a gorgeous climate, that's half the fun of the place. It, it seems a bit weird for the, the mayor of Miami to be kvetching about the climate. Now, is this going to spread? Is this just some virtue signaling by a few low-level uh, Republicans? Or is this something that's going to spread within the party like like is being done, unfortunately, up here in Canada in our Conservative Party? Well, I, you know, I don't know. The, head, the House Minority Leader, Kevin McCarthy, about a month ago, came out and gave a, a speech on climate and it was just atrocious talking all of their all of the left and climate activists framing and climate's the problem and we, they want to plant trees which is fine but they're selling tree planting as though it's some kind of alternative to the green new deal and will solve climate change hmm. they want carbon capture which again washington spends money i long ago gave up worrying about or trying to stop Washington from wasting money. They want to spend money on carbon capture, fine, but this is where they're headed, and and it's it's a it's a package of just virtue signaling things. But the problem is they're no longer challenging any aspect of the climate narrative, yeah. and that's the problem with this whole thing. Again, I don't care if they spend money. I don't care if they do boondoggle programs like carbon capture. Um, but this is where we're headed. And a lot of them support carbon taxes, uh, a lot of these founders. So they're, and, and of course, they'll finally, they'll find some common ground with the left on that. Yeah. I always laugh because where libertarians go wrong, in my view, politically, is they're most legislatively and uh, effective where they agree with liberals. So that's why they can always get, you know, anti-police or pro-pornography or prostitution, drugs. They'll always be successful in that area. But in other areas where they're, where they're disagreement, particularly economic issues, they have no, 
no chance of success. And I think that's what we're finding with the Republican climate movement is it will have some success, but it's going to be all on the terms of the climate activists. Yeah, well, that's disappointing. Hopefully we can get Mayor Suarez to talk more about crypto and a little bit less about climate. Okay. And uh, I'm glad that that governor is just doing better all the time. Hey, give me 30 seconds on that. Um, I mean, listen, you follow these things more closely than I do. You are an American. Um, are, do you like the looks of DeSantis for a possible 2024 candidacy? You're asking me que- These are good questions. I like DeSantis's views and policies. Originally, he was a little weak on COVID, or that, but then he immediately recovered and became the leader, I, I think. However, he does have... You know, in terms of running for president, he comes off to me a little bit too slick as a politician, a little bit too telegraphed. Christy Nome is someone, but I'm worried she may have the Palin effect of just not enough gravitas behind her. But she's another one. But DeSantis, you have to remember, if you're thinking of moving to Florida, I always remind people, he won by one-tenth of one percent, and he almost lost to an Andrew Cuomo-like Democrat. So if that election had gone the other way, Florida would have been locked down, similar to... uh, you know, to New York and Michigan, possibly. Uh, but interestingly enough, um, uh, uh, w- with the future with Florida, with all the New Yorkers and Northeastern people moving there, it's possible it could go either way. But Trump did win handily in Florida. So that might be good news. Maybe Florida's gotten even more conservative. But yeah, DeSantis is a great option for 2024. Well, I'm glad to hear it. And there's some interesting names there. Well, great to catch up with you, my friend. Thanks for the update as always. And uh, we'll keep in touch with you and climatedepot.com. Thank you, Ezra. Appreciate it. All right. Cheers. See you later. There you have it, Mark Morano. Stay with us. More ahead. Hey, welcome back on my show last night. Enzo writes, how are people still listening to Fauci? Oh, still listening to him. He's treated as a secular saint. Although it was shocking to me that his book, he's got a new book, like just like uh, Bonnie Henry, the public health officer of BC, she managed time during this emergency to write a book about herself. Yeah, sounds like a really busy emergency. Fauci did too, but the book was yanked from Amazon and all the other distributors yesterday. I wonder if there were just so many lies that were revealed by these emails. I think he's being unpersoned, and I'm only half kidding when I say there's a chance he'll be Jeffrey epstein over it. Jeffrey Epstein uh, was in the middle of such scandals that global leaders, billionaires like Bill Gates, his good friend, uh, would have had an enormous interest in him not testifying. I don't think there's that sexual element with uh, Anthony Fauci. I think there's something far more grave. The nature of the pandemic and the culpability of that Wuhan Institute for Virology, yeah, it would not shock me if Anthony Fauci was Jeffrey Epstein. And I know that sounds like a conspiracy theory. It's not a theory. I'm just telling you it wouldn't surprise me if given what's come out about his um, warnings he received about the Wuhan virus and given his role in funding gain of function research, wouldn't surprise me if Anthony Fauci did not live up the year. Club writes, gain of function research is politically correct term for bioweapon research. Isn't that the truth? You know, I first heard gain of function I don't even know, like, that's just such a generic, what does that mean? You're exactly right. That's a fancy way of saying, let's make weapons out of, out of viruses. On a publication ban case, Andy writes, way to go, Rebel, fixing the broken system, even for the people that hate you. Yeah, I mean, I, we, I still have to see the form of the ruling, and we still have to learn what we can or can't report. But I thought it was incredible that we were the only media company in court 
asking for the clarity, asking for these publication bans to be pruned back. And I think that says two things. First of all, the media party is probably broke. And second of all, they don't actually care about holding power to account anymore because they've merged big media and big tech and big government have really joined up. It's only the independent media you can trust now. That's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night, and keep fighting for freedom.